This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Jonathan Wilson, and Martin has also decided to grace us with his presence for once after missing the last two. Where have you been, Martin? Well, the last one's too early for me. Jonathan had the earliest lunch in the history of he mankind. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't do a, a pre-nine o'clock with three kids and running around, so that was me. Before that, I was just giving Josh some minutes, get some minutes in yeah. his legs, you know, he's an important player. Yeah, a bit, a bit like the Chelsea defence. You never know which one's gonna, who's gonna be playing in there. <laughs> exactly yeah, but you, it's a big match week this week, so we brought you back in as the Thiago Silva figure in That's our it. in our podcast. So, Jonathan, everyone will be really wanting to find out about your lunch. It was a big feature on the podcast last week. How was it? It, it was, it was very nice. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Good. Yeah, well, one of the four of us unfortunately uh, had to cry off ill. Um, uh-huh. One of the other four of us had to come back early because his kids' school closed because of COVID. And one of the other four of us uh, threw up on the train on the way home. Um, was that you? No, no, no. I was absolutely fine. Uh, not not through booze, to be clear. Through oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. So, oh, dear. Yeah, it was... Oh, uh, wow. So, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a mixed day. I, I had a nice time. I had a nice time. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't chalk that off as a, as a success, but that, that's just me. <laughs> this doesn't sound like a successful lunch at all. Martin, let's get to the podcast then. Premier League team of the week after the weekend's games. Talk us through it. Yeah, so busy weekend's action, obviously, or not as busy as usual because we had one game cancelled, but uh, it's quite Liverpool-heavy, the team of the week, after their 4-0 win over Southampton. Very impressive display all round. It is Alisson in goal uh, while we're at it. He made three, only three saves, but some decent saves en route to a seventh clean sheet of the season. The right-back is Tommy Yasu, who's been an excellent signing so far. I think he's looked really good at at both ends, and certainly in the in the game against Newcastle, we get his first assist for the club. Three shots, three key passes, three tackles, two dribbles, all action display. And then the rest of the back four is all Liverpool. So it's Van Dijk, who obviously scored for the first time since his return from injury uh, and made six clearances against his former club as well. Canate partnered him at the weekend, uh, did very well. He's being eased in by Klopp now, gradually, and performing well. Uh, he won seven aerial duels, two tackles, three interceptions. So again, another busy display. Robertson at left-back was excellent, assisted the early goal obviously to get them off and running and created more chances than any other player. He's coming under a little bit of pressure from Simikas so maybe that's boosted him a little bit because he did have a bit of a slow start to the season. Had He's had a couple of injuries but he looked back to his best. On the right is Bukayo Saka. Uh, he scored in back-to-back home games against Newcastle now. Uh, earned his best uh, rating of the season in what has been a pretty underwhelming season for Saka so far, I'd say, but did look bright. Obviously, went Don't off the Arsenal fans, they won't be happy with that. <laughs> they won't be thinking that. No, yeah. He, he, he looked bright and he went off injured, so that's a bit of a blow. He's a doubt. I think it was more precautionary, so hopefully he can play the Man United game because it would be a blow if he's, he's out. In the middle of midfield, our player of the week is actually James Madison. Uh, he followed a goal and an assist in Europa League with a goal and two assists. Uh, against Watford, uh, so that was his best display for a long, long time because he's he struggled of late and certainly this season not been a, a regular starter. But to see him back and running, he's sort of a forgotten man in the sort of England reckoning, isn't he? With all the players that have come mm. through, has tended to pick up injuries at bad times. But he'll be hoping he can get a run now. Uh, alongside him, Super John McGinn, third goal of the season. All of them come from outside the box. 
Seven tackles, all complete, 100% tackle success. Tackle success coming in there. Come uh, three out of three dribbles completed, 100% dribble success, 90% pass accuracy. Excellent performance from McGinn, who we'll come on to a little bit later. Uh, this Trossard on the left, uh, couldn't couldn't find a breakthrough, but had four shots, hit the woodwork, completed five dribbles. He's he's had a he's been busy this season, but does need to improve his end product. And then up front, uh, two goal scorers of braces in Jamie Vardy and Diogo Jota. Just realised terrible prep from me. I forgot to watch much of the day two this morning, so I've not actually seen the Sunday games except for the ones that were on TV. So poor prep, Jonathan. You you agree with that? Not that the poor prep, the team. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I sorry, I wasn't paying any attention at all. I was so sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's not great either, to be honest. <laughs> I'm glad I'm listening to on the pod. It's fine. I was listening. Did he say McTominay? I thought McTominay played well. Did I didn't say McTominay. Yeah, McGinn, the better Scotsman. The better Scotsman. McTominay's not getting in there with with John McGinn and James Madison on flames, Jonathan. Mm. Absolutely no chance. Madison plays further forward, doesn't he? He's never, yeah. he never get hold of midfield, doesn't he? We know it's always 4 4 2 for the team of the week. It is. Yeah. It's always 4 4 2. Very, very Mike Bassett from the Who Scored algorithms. Got some form rankings as well, Martin, keeping you busy this week on the podcast at the start. Give us the form yeah, rankings. Yeah, form rankings. So the only two that are in the team of the week that have come into our top 10 form rankings are Jota, who's come in at seven, and John McGinn, who's come in at 10. Obviously, since Gerard's come in, there was a lot of talk about him maybe being one of those players that Gerard can get the best out of. and Certainly been a promising start in that regard. So, yeah, John McGinnon at 10. It's Bernardo Silva at 9. Emmanuel Dennis at 8, uh, who deserves credit. He's been a really good signing. I wasn't really sure about him. He was sort of only really known for scoring a brace against Real Madrid. And it was one of those braces where actually you'd have thought he was a worse, a worse finisher for the goals that he scored. They were the two of the sort of worst finishes that you'll see. Very fortunate. But he's been great. He's, it's only him and Mo Salah who've had a direct... who've scored at least five goals and assisted at least five goals. So he's been very good when Watford have needed a more of a threat up front to take the pressure off Ishmael Assar. Josh King's done very well as well. So they do have goal threats now. Like I said, Jota at seven, Cancelo at six, Rafinha five, Reese James in at four, Conor Gallagher three, Trent two and Salah still number one. He's he's held that spot for six weeks now, but it is a lot tighter than it was. So Trent just 0. 0.02 behind Salah now. So we could see a new man at the top. The only other new, the only other player who's been at the top was in the very first week that we did it, uh, Ivan Tony. Since then, Salah, 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 Salah. Salah Ivan Tony, who everyone knows, used to play for Newcastle. Absolutely <laughs> everybody <laughs> knows that fact. Well-known football fact. We move on now to the just a minute section. Martin, back in the team, has really put his own stamp on the script for the just a minute section really, really early. A bit, bit disrupt, Martin, that, I would say. It's because there's two games on Tuesday that we aren't covering in detail. So I just feel right. it's try and do it kind of chronologically a little bit. I know there'd be some logic. I know there will be some logic. I'll try and, some, yeah, try and use some. Not much logic behind our predictions most weeks. How did we get on at the weekend? So, no, actually, no change whatsoever. Uh, ominously, 6-6-6 six, six, six was the scores uh, oh. <laughs> this weekend. So, yeah, uh, who scored actually got six out of nine correct uh, results, but no scores. And you two both got one correct score, which was the 2-1, no, 2 is it 2-1? 2-1 yeah, West, West, West Ham. So, yeah, you got three points from that and then four other correct results. So, yeah, six each. 
Lanzini coming up absolute trumps for Jonathan and, and us in <laughs> Jonathan and us, Jonathan and me in stoppage time. Let's do this week's just a minute section then, and we're going to start with Newcastle against Norwich, which is the Rule Fox Derby, of course. So Jonathan, off you go. I think it's, I mean, it's obviously a massive game for both teams, given where they are, but for Newcastle, particularly uh, after this, they got Burnley at the weekend and then they got Leicester, Liverpool, City, and United up to the end of the year. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you're looking at 35 points as an absolute minimum to survive. That's 29 points now they need from uh, what 25 games. Uh, equally, Norwich, you'd probably say they need 26 points. But this is the kind of game where I think they you know, they, they really need to, to get points on the board. Um, battle of the bottom two. Newcastle still no clean sheets this season. I think what we've seen under Eddie Howe so far has sort of confirmed our fears about his capacity defensively. Uh, although he is obviously taking, taking over it. Uh, a defence that's not particularly solid. Uh, Norwich are playing a lot better recently. Seven points in the last three games. Uh, in five of the last seven games, they've let in only one or or none. Uh, so they are tightening up, even though you do have the Chelsea game as one of the other two games they're only let in seven. Um, but I think with a home crowd behind them, uh, with Eddie Howe on the touchline, I think there will be a bit of euphoria there. So I'm going to go Newcastle to win this 2-1. 2-1 to Eddie Howe's Newcastle. Who scored mine? Uh, we've gone for one all. Dean Smith to continue his unbeaten start. But sorry, the, the thing I, I really wanted to include in that and I missed out, if Norwich were to win this game, they would have picked up more points than any other Premier League team in November. Really? Lovely. How bizarre that is, is that? That's prime statage. Yeah. Prime statage. Would have been so much better if I'd actually used it when I should have done it. <laughs> why, didn't you, why didn't you use it and then you decided to say after? Because I put it in a little note at the bottom and I couldn't see it and I forgot about it. Ah, well, we've got it in there. It's in the show. Everyone yeah. knows. That's a good stat. That is a good stat. I've not seen that anywhere. So that's, that's an excellent stat from you, Jonathan. I've also gone for 1 1, the Dean Smith train to continue. Martin, your first game to do in the just a minute section is Leeds v Palace late. I'm going to have to go Patrick Bamford, Darby. Yeah, Patrick Bamford's rehab from injury has been slow and complicated, and Leeds are sorely missing him, not just for his goals, but his link up play and his um, work rate as well from the front. He scored in both meetings with Palace last season and in his absence, the Whites have scored just 12 league goals, of which five have been scored by Rafinha. Bielsa does have players returning, most notably Luke Ayling coming back soon, but Cock, as ever, is out. Elsewhere, Calvin Phillips was hooked at half-time for the third third time in the space of a year and is one of a number of England players enduring somewhat of a Euros hangover. Palace fell flat against the well-organised Villa side at the weekend, ending a seven-game unbeaten streak and have lost on each of their last six trips to Ellen Road. They have scored in 10 of their last 11 games, however, and could hand a first start of the season to Eberetje Eze. Patrick uh, Vieira will be out without Joachim Anderson once again, which is a blow, as is uh, James MacArthur's absence. This should be an intriguing battle between two teams who like to play possession football, but in terms of personnel, probably have better players on the counter. Calvin Phillips versus Conor Gallagher could be a decisive duel. Uh, with Leeds going for the latter, uh, you have to think he'd have been a perfect fit for a Bielsa team. Uh, and I think he could be a difference here. So we're going 1-0 to Palace. Jonathan? <laughs> uh, I'm going 2-1 to Palace. And I've got 2-1 to Leeds. Next up, oh no, we're struggling there for another derby. I have to be lazy again. Southampton and Leicester, the Ryan Bertrand derby. I'm, I'm to be current players here. I'm struggling. Yeah, Southampton, I think, are probably starting to worry a bit. So they had gone four without defeat, but two losses in a row now. They'd be less concerned about what happened against Liverpool at the weekend um, than they would be by the defeat of Norwich before that. Yeah, they tried to play a back three against Liverpool in the first half. Didn't didn't really work, as uh, Ralph Hasenhutl admitted. So I'm sure they'll go back to the back four here. 
Um, their, their real problem, though, is less defensively than, than going forward. That In only two league games this season, have they scored more than one goal? They've only scored 11 in the 13 matches so far. The positive side of that is they've only conceded 18. Leicester, by contrast, have scored 20 but conceded 23. Their defence is a big worry. And again, you think that's largely injury-induced. Uh, Fafana is still out. Pereira is still out. Just still out. Uh, and there's a doubt over Johnny Evans. Uh, Tielemans is still out as well, which is obviously a problem for them creatively. Um, uh, Armstrong out for Southampton, uh, but Redmond should be back and Gineppo should be back as well. Uh, that maybe does give Southampton some firepower. So I still think Leicester have too much for them. So I'm going to go 2-1 Leicester. Got to pick you up on something there, Jonathan. You have to tell us where Armstrong's out. Two Armstrongs? Oh, the forward mm. one. Striker. <laughs> <laughs> the, forward, the forward Armstrong, not the midfield Armstrong. It's the is it is it David Armstrong who plays Chris in Armstrong, the, early 80s? the forward? Yes. If, if we were going to insist on it, Alan uh, Armstrong is that his name? It is no Stuart Armstrong. So. Oh, it's Stuart Armstrong, the midfield one. Midfield, yeah. It, sorry, it isn't the forward. Isn't the forward? What one. a disaster this is, is <laughs> today. Oh, yeah, we're, we're all over the place. All over. But Monday, oh, doing a Monday, Monday podcast. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Absolute, absolute struggles, Bill here. Um, you said 2-1 to Leicester, didn't you, Jonathan? I've gone 3-1 to Leicester. They're going to still stay in the goal, according to my prediction. Martin, what have you scored plumped for? We've got 2-1 to Leicester as well. Your next preview is Watford against Chelsea, Martin. Lazy again. I mean, it's a Claudio Ranieri derby every week. Watford against Chelsea. Claudio Ranieri's short tour of his former clubs comes to an end with the visit of Chelsea, having fallen to a 4-2 defeat at Leicester last time out. The Hornets have been hit and miss under the Italians so far, but he has been able to get the best from summer signings Josh King and Emmanuel Dennis, uh, which is timely given that Ismail Assar could well be out again, having missed out at the weekend. Despite coming from behind... Uh, Chelsea will view their draw against United as two points dropped rather than one gained, given their dominance. It was an individual error from Jorginho that proved costly, and at present that seems like the only route to goal for opponents against the Blues right now. So Watford know they will need to pounce on any rare lapses. Watford are one of just two teams without a clean sheet, and keeping a first against the league leaders seems unlikely. Chelsea have scored at least twice in 10 of their last 12 meetings against the Hornets and could welcome Lukaku back to the starting 11 after Timo Inverno uh, missed the target with all six of his shots uh, at the weekend. Elsewhere, Mount and Havertz could also return to the side, showcasing Chelsea's ridiculous strength and depth. So we're going for a comfortable 3-0 Chelsea win. 2-0 Chelsea here. Jonathan? Yeah, 2-0 Chelsea. Excellent stuff. West Ham v Brighton then for you, Jonathan. The Bob Zamora derby. Off you go. Well, West Ham, after such a positive start of the season, now lost two in a row. Uh, the fact against Wolves and City, perhaps nothing to get too excited about. That you know, Wolves, obviously, are in good form at the moment. City, probably, you know, arguably the best team in the, in the league. So it's, it's not too big a concern, but it, I think it is significant that both come after Ogbonna's got injured against Liverpool. I think the loss of Ogbonna is is significant to them. I think he was, he's you know not not just a good defender, but you know a really important figure in terms of leadership um brighton no win in eight now although they have drawn six of those and uh, i thought it was very telling that, that they were booed off uh, on saturday and graham potter clearly not very happy about that but the problem is exactly the same as it was last season there's just no goal scorer there so in those six draws they've been the better team gone to xg in five of them but there's just nobody to take the chances um both these games were drawn last season 2-2 at london stadium 1-1 at the amex but I think West Ham probably should have enough, even without a bonus. I'm going to say 2-1 West Ham. I've gone 1-1. Who scored? 
Yeah, we've got 1-1 as well. Martin, then Wolves against Burnley. The Stephen Ward derby, I think that's his name. I'm glad for both. Good knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Wolves against Burnley. Go on then, this is a shambles. <laughs> yeah, Wolves somewhat surprisingly drew a blank against Norwich. And in truth, they were second best throughout, mustering just five shots on Tim Crawl's goal. They'll need to buck their ideas up then to end a run of five matches without a win at Burnley, uh, against Burnley, sorry, who romped to a 4-0 win at Molyneux last season, courtesy of a first-half Chris Wood hat-trick. He's actually scored in his last three meetings between the sides in total and is enjoying his partnership with Maxwell Cornet, who has five goals in six starts for the Clarets. Bruno Larger is without seven players, most notably Ruben Neves and Daniel Pedence, who are out through suspension and COVID, respectively. Leander Dendonka should get a rare start under his new boss as a result, while Adama Traore has also completely fallen out of favour but could benefit from some rotation here. The Clarets will also be without two key players through the suspension of James Tarkovsky and Ashley Westwood due to miss out against Spurs, but that's been carried over. Sean Dyche will hope that the additional rest will prove a blessing and will be in decent spirits overall despite sitting in the relegation zone. Only Chelsea have lost fewer of their last seven league matches than Burnley's one. Though Wolves can match and indeed better than that, better that feat, only one defeat in eight. So you see this one being quite tight, and we're going for a one-all draw again. Wolves to win two-one. Same as over here. I've gone Wolves two-one as well. Last game then for you, Jonathan. The no derby derby because I've literally got nobody. Tottenham v Brentford. If anyone leaps out at him, please. Let I me mean, know it, it, is there an obvious I, one? I, I, Alex Pritchard. Alex Pritchard was Ooh, nice. he plays, plays for Sunderland, obviously now. Mm. Uh, that's uh, nice. Did he actually that's play handy. for Tottenham? That was my only doubt. I know yeah, he's there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Obviously, Tottenham's game at the weekend snowed off, so it denied us a chance to see how they'd react to that defeat against Mura, which I think probably brought home to Antonio Conte just how difficult things could be for Tottenham this season. Um, had picked up four points in his first two games. Um, the draw against Everton, I think, showed just how lacking they are in in creativity at the moment. That's been the big problem. Only two goals in the last four games. They had that long spell uh, when they didn't have a shot on target. Um, they're without Romero and Lacelso for this game. Brentford stopped the rot against Everton on Sunday. Not a particularly great game, not a particularly great performance, but they held their shape and they, they defended well enough to, to get a clean sheet, which having come off a back of four defeats and then a draw is, is probably all they needed just to get a bit of confidence back. They still have six players out, although uh, Wissa is back, which gives them a little bit more uh, firepower going forward. But I still think Tottenham surely will have too much of them, so I'm going to go 2-1 to Tottenham. I've gone 2-0 to Tottenham. Martin, who scored? <laughs> we've gone one all again. One of five one all draws we've predicted this week. So. We also haven't predicted a single home win, which seems unlikely. But there we go. Yeah. Anyone see the the guy that flew over from America for the game? The Spurs fan. It feels like this happens when someone makes a big trip and the game. Was it a Spurs game fan or a Burnley fan? Spurs fan. Oh, he was, was a Spurs it? fan. Oh, I thought. Do you not see the thing yeah. where um, yeah, Harry, Harry Kane, Kane, Harry Kane's offered him a guest ticket next time he's in London? Then if you go back to his this bloke's tweets. It's, why didn't we sell this loser Kane? We should have done. First man at the door in January has got to be Kane. <laughs> so, have something... I gone for eight two ones this weekend? This this week? Possibly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, eight. It is eight. Eight. Eight two ones. Yeah. Look at those notes. Supreme notage. My friend Tom Julian would be proud of that. Unbelievable notes. It's only two pages. It's not... 
<laughs> two more pages than I've got. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got a treble, Martin. The Wednesday, 7.30 treble. That 7.30 is not a, not a right kickoff time. What, what are you doing, it Amazon? So, yeah, Wednesday, 7.30 treble. So, my leg is Leicester to be winning at half-time and full-time. Just came up with that and just thought, that's a good market to go for. So, I plumped that. Martin, who scored leg? Uh, we've gone for a score draw in West Ham-Brighton which has actually played out in each of the last five meetings between them. They've all been score draws. So we're going for a sixth score draw in a row in that game. Nice. That's a good one. Jonathan? Chelsea to win without conceding against Watford. Um, I mean, Watford are really hard to get a handle on. Mm. They they, they look like they've tightened up at the back, those those 2-1, I mean, 2-1 all defeats. And then they're going back at United, and then they're pretty hopeless against Leicester at the weekend, uh, which there was a Sunday, uh, certainly defensively. Um, so I, I don't know, but Chelsea is so good defensively. I mean, still only five goals conceded this season that, yeah, it's, it, it, and I'm sure they'll win. So, yeah, Chelsea to, to win 2 nil. It seems to be a good game, bad game, Watford. Sound like Bruce Forsyth. Good game, bad game. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they smash someone, what? They smash someone one week and they lose the next week when you think they might get some momentum. You know, they smashed Everton, didn't they? They smashed Manchester United. Teams mm. always, they always seem to smash the teams that, you know, you think that's a really good result as well, but then they go and lose to everyone after that. Yeah. That's Watford. That's my synopsis on Watford anyway. Do you want to have a, we haven't said the price yet. Do you want to have a guess at the price? I'll, I'll let you know. It's a, it's a good price. Uh, 35 to 1. 28 to 1. 50 to 1. What? Uh, yeah. Boosted from 43. So already a big price. So 50 to 1. So just to run back through it, that's, uh, Leicester to be winning at half-time and full-time against Southampton. Chelsea to win to nil against Watford. And West Ham-Brighton score draw 50-1. to one. I fear that maybe Is that my bet that's put that up? Uh, they're all pretty pretty big. Uh, no, score draws are pretty big odds as well. Um, okay. So, yeah. Well, a draw, well, in it, a draw in itself is usually a big odd, but then a score draw boost. Chelsea to win to nil can't be much more than... No, it's 2.15, 2.2, something like that. Yeah. How did we get on with last week's treble? I know mine didn't come in. Well, Jonathan's came in, half-time, full-time. I don't know where you got that inspiration. Liverpool to win, half-time, full-time, came in. You had Ben Teke to score, didn't score. We had Jimenez to score, didn't score. So, there we go. Yeah. I will say as well, in the comments, in the YouTube comments... Yes. Someone was giving a bit of stick to the predictions. The guy, they yes. said that we keep predicting Manchester City to keep clean sheets. Was it Manchester City to concede and Liverpool to keep clean sheets? Well, justice was served, really, yeah. because what we said happened. So, you know, we, maybe we do know what we're doing. Not always. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe sometimes we do know what we're doing. Yeah, it's got the Manchester City score. Bang on. So, whoever made that comment. Yeah. That's all I was saying. <laughs> right, um, yeah, oh, that would have been a good. That would have been a good one. That would have been yeah. a great one. Next time, next time we get some stick in the comments, we'll, we'll do that. Everton v Liverpool, then the Merseyside derby. Worrying times to be an Everton fan. And Jonathan Benitez on borrowed time already. I, I've watched a bit of Everton recently. I know they've got injuries. I know their squad's a bit of a mishmash. But they got no identity, and they're very, very easy to defend against. Yeah, I mean they are certainly easy to defend against. I mean that that second half, Brentford were. Very happy to sit back, and, and then rightly so, because I mean they did just never look like conceding. Um, was, you know, a couple of crosses flashed across the box, but nothing more than that. Um, I, but they, you know, Evan have had a lot of injuries, and I think you can't get mm. beyond that. That the first seven games of the season they picked up fourteen points, which I, th- I think is the best they've done in the Premier League season. Certainly, the best they've done in the Premier League season for 
for for good decade. Um, and when you lose essentially your spine, you lose Mina, you lose Takure, and you lose Calvert Lewin, that makes things really difficult. Now, um, it looks like Mina might be back for this game. Calvert Lewin's still out. Uh, Takure came back at the weekend. Uh, Alan is back. Tamari Gray came for bench. So the players are starting to, to, to come back in. Uh, Richarlison obviously was was out the weekend, suspended. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think you've got to have sympathy with with Benitez. But the problem is, after Liverpool, they've got Arsenal, Palace, and Chelsea. So they could very easily, without playing particularly badly, find they've got on a yeah that that run is now is 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 eleven without a win. And given, I mean, you talked about this in relation to to Villa when when they sacked Dean Smith. The nature of the league this season is that Newcastle and Norwich look a bit cut off, but Newcastle, you assume, will pick up in January. Norwich have, well, as you said, if they win on Tuesday, they, they pick up more points than any Premier League team in, in, in November. And there's no other bad team. Um, you know, Watford are still getting results. Okay, six points out, six games under Ranieri. That needs to improve, but they've shown in a couple of games they can improve. Southampton have hit a bit of a rocky patch, but they're not a terrible side by any means. And then you've got the likes of Everton, Villa, I mean, Villa not so much now, Leeds getting dragged down there, who, who actually you'd expect to be mid-table. So I think there is a real danger by the end of the year, Everton could be pretty close to the relegation zone and maybe beginning to panic. Because yeah, they started well. I remember going on an Everton podcast at the, at the start of the season. They, start, they were really worried about, about their team, but then they started well. But now, Martin, they kind of have fallen into the, the pattern that perhaps the Everton fans expected. And you know, on the, Calvert Lewin's a huge miss. He's their goal scorer. He's their number nine. On the face of it, Rondon was a, a semi smart signing, I would say, a backup target man. But he's not really offered anything in, in any of the games he's played as a. Yeah, I think that maybe the time away from the Premier League, a big dip in quality. Um, the time away is probably taking its toll a little bit uh, on his fitness levels. Obviously, he's, well, what is he, mid-30s, coming up to mid-30s at least. Um, so, yeah, you, you can't really expect to lean on him for an, a prolonged run of games, which is what they've had to try and do. I think as much, obviously the injuries are, are huge, but as much as anything, it's, it's the football, isn't it? It's only Only Newcastle and Burnley have had less possession than Everton this season and regardless of the injuries um, Everton fans will will expect better than that and probably rightly so so like Jonathan says they've got a, they've got a really tough run of game so it, it does does look ominous for, for Benitez because if, if they do get a win out of these next four games then he'll have done pretty well to be honest um, I'm not sure when Calvert-Lewin's due to come back I think he's still still a little bit away um, and he's the big one isn't he but yeah they, they could mm. be in trouble I think they could even be in the relegation zone after that run of games You've probably being at home to your local rivals Jonathan's not really what you need I don't know whether you saw the reaction from the away end when the players went to applaud them at the, the, at the end of the game yesterday poisonous not great and the last thing you want to be doing is taking on your local rivals who are on absolute fire Yeah I mean the, the only thing you would say about that is at least at the start of the game uh, there will be yeah, the, the greater enemy is without, right? You know, the, the, mm. there'll be this sort of togetherness against Liverpool, uh, and that might not be the case if they were playing, you know, Burnley or something like that. Um, but yeah, if, if things go badly, then things could turn pretty poisonous pretty quickly. And I, I think that there is an issue with Everton that, um, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but they've appointed a whole load of different ty- types of manager. I think they've signed relatively well. Um, 
you know, uh, you know people like Takure, Allen, uh, uh, Richarlison, a uh, good players. Um, Rondon, I thought Rondon was was brilliant for Newcastle, and I, I, I thought he was he was a good signing. But you, you're right, it's he looks a lot older than 32, um, which is what his age is. Um, <laughs> that would be quite a weird thing to say. Yeah, he looks a lot older than 27. Um, but no, he, he is 32, but he, he, he's... Maybe his fitness is getting slightly better, but it certainly wasn't there when he, you know at the beginning of the season. Um, so I don't know, I just sort of feel Evan, one of those clubs who who's slightly adrift. They, 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 they're, their direction forward is very hard to see where, where they're going. It was a step up from Rondon, I think, to at least have a couple of shots into Brentford, because I think that's the first time I've, I've seen him hit the target since he joined the club. And I'm worried for Benitez. I'm worried if he does something stupid, like wave to the Liverpool fans or acknowledge them. or I don't, I don't even know what kind of reception he would get from the Liverpool fans. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, really worried for Rafa Benitez. And one of my favourite players to watch in the Premier League, probably in world football, actually, Martin, is Thiago. Is he now a key differential? To, to Liverpool in that title charge? Yeah, well, certainly in the games that he started this season, um, they've, I think they've scored 14 goals in four games and not conceded. Um, so, yeah, and and it was mentioned on Match of the Day, I think it's only the third time that he's played in midfield alongside Fabinho and Henderson, which we, you would consider to be Klopp's sort of first choice three if everyone's fit. Yeah. So if they can stay fit, it's, it's a big, big if because... His injury problems, obviously he picked up that injury in this game, uh, probably the most significant of his injuries since he's been at Liverpool in this game last season. Um, but he has had injury problems throughout his career. So, yeah, it, we need to see that stretch, that that run of game stretch. Because he, he did play most of the games towards the end of last season and that's when Liverpool picked up again. So his last 15 starts in the Premier League, he's won 13 and drawn two. Uh, and I think they've only conceded five or six goals in that time as well. Yeah, 35 goals scored, six conceded in Thiago's last 15 league start. So he clearly makes a difference. And yeah, it's just, he's got that ability to beat the press, hasn't he? And just his, his forward passing, always always thinking forwards. And he started to add a couple of goals um, recently as well. So yeah, I completely agree. Love watching him. He's just sort of metronomic in the way he moves the ball around. And yeah, Liverpool, all the better for him for sure superb word there martin never even heard that word before what was it metronomic i've never heard that word in my life do you know what a metronome is i mean you can tell by my there face obviously not it's like a, it's a little statue of a man you put in your garden and it tells you the weather <laughs> that's it I'm, yeah i don't even know if that is true or not <laughs> can someone explain this word to me please metronome is something that like sets a beat Basically, yeah. ticks like so. You're, it's usually for people who play music. So yeah, it sets, sets the tempo. So a metronomic player would set the tempo. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> let's do uh, let's do predictions then, Martin. Uh, we've gone three 0 to Liverpool. Three yeah, I think it'll be comfortable. Ooh. Yeah, a dark day for Everton. That would be Jonathan. Three one Liverpool. Three, oh, I've gone Kaya. I've gone one nil to Liverpool. Probably a Regi coming off the bench and scoring. It feels like the kind of thing that happens in. In, in those games. Next up, Aston Villa against Manchester City at Villa Park. Villa, two wins for two, Jonathan, since Steven Gerrard's come in. Looking good. Looking like he knows what he's doing. And I like the change of shape for um, uh, for the game at the weekend, going to the 4-2-3-1 rather than the 4-3-3. You're playing uh, Young and Bailey wide, so getting a little bit more defensive running there um, than it would be with Wendy and when you had Ings and Watkins. Um, yeah, sort of 
centre and left. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think it's been a very impressive start. Uh, playing City obviously is, a, is another level of task, and, and City were also hugely impressive the weekend, despite the absence of De Bruyne, Foden, and Grealish. Martin, obviously you're enjoying Stevie J's start as much as I am, and I think that the change to, to shape, the change to pressing, Villa actually didn't press that much on Saturday. Mm. I, I was at the game; they keep it very compact defensively. Well, they did against, against Crystal Palace, so the the two behind the striker coming very very narrow. Three midfield, exactly the same, and the, the back mm. four. So everything just feels very narrow. Watkins is obviously pressing; he's very, very good at that. But they, they keep their shape. They're really pressing less they need to. The central midfielders were actually pulling wide and, and covering off quite a lot to allow the, the fullbacks to bomb on forward when it was in transition. So he's changed. He's changed quite a lot in a short space of time. Because I probably, you know, I loved Dean Smith. Everyone knows I loved Dean Smith. I probably wouldn't have picked up on such things with shape and pressing under him. But I'm noticing it under Gerard, which tells you he's done something on the training ground. Yeah, the, well, the buzzword under Gerard has been distances, hasn't it? Out of possession, yes. distances. Yeah, I um, like it. That's what he's been keen to sort of stress. And yeah, Villa have clearly improved in that regard because that certainly in midfield, the distances in midfield were were all over the place, and that's what he's identified. They've only conceded fourteen shots across his two games, so only the top three have conceded fewer shots uh, over the last two games. It's a big departure from where they were. So they were conceding over 14 shots per game under Dean Smith. So only 14 in the two games so far against decent teams as well. Hmm. They were uh, were 17th for possession uh, one in the attacking third prior to Gerrard. They are actually winning it back as much as you said. Obviously, the, the press isn't maybe as intense as we expected. They are winning it back more. Only four teams have won it back uh, in, the, in the offensive third more than Villa in that time as well. Uh, Norwich were actually bottom, <laughs> this is a, a bit of an aside, but Norwich were bottom of that metric um, while Dean Smith was at Villa and Villa were 17th. Norwich are now top um, for <laughs> possession one in the attacking third over the last two games. So it maybe points to the fact that Villa just lost a little bit of belief in, maybe not in Smith, but confidence was low. They lost a bit of intensity and it does point towards the fact that maybe a change was needed, maybe for all parties. It's obviously great to see Smith start so well at Norwich Villa have only had like you say they sit off they've only had 37% in possession in both of their matches but pass accuracy has actually improved a little bit which sounds Mm -hmm. counterintuitive but it is again it's about distances it's about being available for the pass sitting deep but then breaking and yeah like you say it does look like he knows what he's doing which is the first sort of check off the list when you're moving into Premier League management there were there were always going to be questions asked of him but he's certainly answered them early on for sure we have the Villa second goal, Jonathan. The metronomic passing, actually, <laughs> in, the, in the lead up to John, to John McGinn's goal. Do you, like, do you like John McGinn? Is he a player you like? Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, obviously, been very good for Scotland as well. So, um, yeah, it gives you a bit of everything, doesn't he? It was a lovely finish on, on Saturday. So, yeah, good player. Well done. Yeah, I, I, thank you. I didn't sign him, but thank you. I'll take the credit. <laughs> I would say Steve, Steve Bruce actually signed him, believe it or not. Yeah. So, yeah, well done, oh, Bruce. When, we go, when, when was yeah. that? Two million pounds from Hibs. What a signing! Twenty, uh, I want to say twenty eighteen. Yeah, around then. Championship, yeah, yeah. Championship days. Good signing, Steve. Well done. Doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Occasionally, good practice. Then, if Villa are keeping the shape, keeping it narrow, and looking better defensively, I guess that's good practice coming up against Manchester City, Jonathan. They still have that slight glitch where there's just games where they look like they can't score, and I think they regularly don't take as many chances as they probably should do. Uh, but yeah, they're they they're, they're playing really really well, and 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 
they also have a capacity to absolutely hammer teams. So it is, it is a real test of, of shape and those distances that you're talking about. Uh, I guess you play this a bit as if it's an away game and um, yeah. try and keep it tight. And if you nick something, well, great. Yeah, I imagine it will probably be the same 11 for Villa as they did look so astute defensively. Jack Grealish, we thought it might be the homecoming game for Jack. Might have got a, a mixed reception. I will say it doesn't look like he's going to play. And some people are saying, Martin, that City are a better side without him. I think they look more comfortable at the moment. And I think that's understandable just because he is a departure from what they're used to, isn't he? Um, so they look more familiar uh, without him. And they've been pretty good over the last few years. Um, so, yeah, I do think, again, we've said it before, I don't really think it's... Jack Grealish's fault. I don't think he's playing particularly badly, but yeah, maybe the the sort of patterns of play are just more um, more fluid and more set when when Grealish isn't in the team, which he's missed the last four, is it? Uh, and yeah, City have played obviously very well in that time. So yeah, it's timely that he misses out. Uh, there's a lot of speculation as to why he's missing out, but we won't get into that, I guess. I suppose when he doesn't play, Jonathan, it gets Raheem Sterling into the side and you can't really argue with Sterling's goal output. Was it the last three games he scored in now? Uh, but I mean, City got such a great squad that they can afford more injuries than anybody else. That's why, I mean, hopefully we'll have a three-way title race and... and um, yeah, I'm certainly not writing off either Chelsea or Liverpool, but that's why I still think City are the favourites, just because their, their squad is so deep and is so well-rounded that even without those three that we've mentioned, De Bruyne, Foden and Grealish, they're still an incredibly good attacking force. Unbelievable squad, except for up front, where there's absolutely nobody. Let's do our predictions then. Martin, we'll start with who scored. Uh, we've gone 2-0 to Man City. Yeah, Jonathan? 2-1 to City. I've gone for a reluctant 2-1 to Manchester City as well. But I do think Villa will give him a game. I really do think Villa will give him a good game. That would be a change, wouldn't it? Because even even when the scores have been tight between Villa and City, they've absolutely wiped the floor of us normally. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's an improvement in that regard under under Gerrard. Yeah, let's see what happens. Should be a good game on Amazon Prime, which I still can't get used to saying. We're going to catch up now with Sam Boswell from Bet Victor to look at the impact Ralph Ranić might have on Manchester United. Giving it the big one last time out in your Crystal Palace shirt, I noticed you are not wearing it today as Aston Villa humbled them on their own patch. We've already spoke about Villa though, so we won't dwell on it, Sam. United, Ranić, a sensible appointment. What's that done to Manchester United in the betting markets? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting appointment, isn't it? A club of that size wanting to obviously not make the same mistakes again, bringing in somebody for the potentially short term and to help assist and develop the squad as they go forward. Well, we've priced up as as we do. Most of the big teams have got these. We've got specials that will be updated as we go through. Uh, you can get them to finish higher against. We've got kind of match bets against teams. So, for example, United to finish higher than Spurs. Obviously, you've got their new man recently in Contain. He looks to have a busy job there. They're one to three to do that. To finish above Arsenal, who obviously they play in this upcoming game week, they're two to five to finish above Arsenal. Uh, you've got the goal specials on there. Ronaldo scored 20 or more Premier League goals, five to four. He's sat on four at the moment, so he's going to need to get going. And obviously, Michael Carrick took the brave decision not to start him against Chelsea, which is very interesting and open to plenty of debate. Um, if you think they're going to really turn it round and they'll finish above the likes of Liverpool, 12 to one. Chelsea, 14 to one. I can't see that myself, but there's plenty of markets on there to get stuck into. I think, uh, personally, I think United FA Cup for me would be probably where I'd be pointing my interest. I think they're maybe going to try and prioritise a bit of silverware this season. But best of luck to Ralph Ramwick because I think this is a massive job and one that could potentially go very sideways very quickly. Odds to win the league, sir, just for a laugh. 
Uh, about 150 to one off the top yeah. of my head. Um, so I think we'll, we'll say that, that that's probably worth parking. But, you know, listen, that squad on paper, Dan, I was having an argument with some friends actually in a WhatsApp group this morning. You know, the Roy Keane Carragher debate really stirred it up. They've got to be competing. And I guess this game against Arsenal is going to be a good litmus test as to where they are. I think the point against Chelsea was good. Whether they deserved it or not is another conversation. But we've got a, a cracking game to look forward to. If you think United are going to have a real good kick on here there half-time full-time has been boosted to 23 to 10 from 85 to 40 United to win and both teams to score 11 to 4 I've actually been quite impressed by the way Arteta's gone about his business I I can see this being another draw because I think both teams would take that on the face of it 5 to 2 the draw 19 to 20 United to get home win 27 to 10 Arsenal gonna be a really really good game yeah brief word on Arsenal bounce back from their defeat against Liverpool to beat Newcastle at the weekend how are their top four rods shaping up now I think they've just been a bit forgotten about, really. Like we've we've got prices again. They're thirteen to eight actually to finish above United. If you think they're going to do well, uh, to gain sixty five or more Premier League goals, nine to two. If you think they're going to score a few uh, on the points side of things, seventy or more points. They're seven to two, which is probably what they're going to need. But yeah, definitely going to be very interesting to see how they end up. I, I, I'm a big fan of Arteta. Actually, I've come round to him, and I, I think he'll do a good job. I quite like a, a short price. Arsenal to gain 65 or more Premier League points right now. That's sat at two to five. I can see that happening. And to finish above Spurs, they're eight to 13. So, yeah, going to be tough to see. But this game, I think I think both sides will end up settling for a bit of a point. I'll just obviously give a quick mention as well. We'll probably have the stats markets up in time for this game as well, which would be really interesting. Um, do check those out. We've got a couple of new features on there as well, which people have been getting stuck into and enjoying. As well as the more traditional ones, shots on target, that kind of thing. You'll find all the prices over at betvictor.com. Just to obviously urge everyone to gamble responsibly. Great to have all this Premier League action, but it does come thick and fast and there's no reason for anyone to gamble any more than they need to or want to or feel comfortable doing so. Final game to preview the midweek Premier League fixtures is Manchester United against Arsenal at Old Trafford. Now, Ralph Ranick has come in, Jonathan, and I've got to be honest, I don't know an awful lot about him. Do you? Have you got stuff in your notes? I don't need any notes. It's, it's all in here. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um... So, in 1983, he was the player coach of Victoria Backnang, who is a small team from southern Germany. And they, play, he, they played a friendly against Valery Lovanovsky's Dynamo Kiev, uh, just outside Stuttgart. And Dynamo were, were staying there as part of their winter training. But obviously, Ukraine is, is, I guess, southern Germany is also very cold in, in February. But Ukraine is even colder, so they, they were wintering in, in southern Germany. And, and Ragnar couldn't believe how his team was a sixth tier team, so Dynamo were much, much better. But he just couldn't believe how they always seemed to have a man over. And so the ball went out for a throw in, so midway through the first half, and he stopped and he counted the number of Dynamo players just to see if he'd snuck on a 12th or 13th, because he couldn't quite believe that they could be able to play with that intensity and always have a man over. And that's when he realised how effective organised pressing could be because German football even though though it had its sort of semi-total football phase when Bayern were dominating Europe in the mid-70s they never had the pressing aspect of that Uh, they were very good at intermoving of players but it was very much a man-to-man system not a zonal system Uh, and so Rangnick began to study it and he became one of the great pioneers of of pressing in in, in Germany Uh, and they they were all sort of in that sort of southern Germany Stuttgart Schwabian area uh, so there was also people like Volker Finke and Wolfgang Frank uh, and Klopp 
learned from from Frank at Mainz, and Tuchel was was obviously there as well and learned from both of them. Uh, and Rangnick had this disastrous appearance on television in the late nineties, where he tried to explain what was going wrong with German football uh, and tried to um, evangelise the back four and and, and zonal marking. And everybody sort of like, who who is this sort of academic weirdo? And then by 2006, when Klopp's doing the same on telly, A, Klopp is a lot more charismatic, but B, German football was sort of ready for the revolution. So Rangnick is the bloke who who really is at the, at the very origins of this German pressing school, which now dominates tactical thinking with people like Nagelsmann and Tuchel and Klopp. Um, so I, th- I think he's a really, really interesting appointment. You look at his record in terms of things he's won, and, and it's a bit like Bielsa, you'd maybe say that it's not that impressive. He, he won a German Cup with Schalke. He got another final at Leipzig. Uh, he got Hanover promoted. But it, you know, it's not this great list of trophies. But he himself has said he, he doesn't really like the pressure of being the frontline coach at the big clubs. So when he was at Schalke, that was a big issue for him. So the two jobs he's had recently in frontline coaching, both at Leipzig, he was doing them, he knew, on an interim basis, waiting for somebody else to come in. So, you know, Nagelsmann uh, most recently... Uh, and he sits in the background and he, you know, he, he's uh, effectively a sporting director and he was in charge of football development for the whole of the Red Bull group before he, he moved to, to Locomotive. So I assume that's what he's going to do with the consultancy. Mm-hmm. He keeps the seat warm for six months and then in that consultancy, he, he advises United on, on how to put in place a philosophy. And that's something United have never had. And, you know, the, the, um, the history of United... Is on, on the one hand glorious, you know they they they've won more league titles than anybody else, but there's long periods of frustration in between the periods of success. That they won two league titles under Ernest Magnell uh, before the First World War. They won five titles under Busby, um, but you know none after '68, and the the, the, the famous um, twenty-six year gap. Uh, sorry, not '67, the famous twenty-six year gap till till they won it under Ferguson. There's only three managers ever won the league under. So I guess the logic is if you put a philosophy in place, you don't you're not so reliant on individual messiahs that you will not have those huge periods in the wilderness between the great coaches. And so United have been a you know a, a Old Trafford was open, what, 1907, 1908, something like that. They've been a financial juggernaut since then, but probably haven't really quite capitalized. Um, and now clearly they're a financial juggernaut and they haven't been capitalising for eight years. So you know, Rangnick's job is to build the structure that allows them to be more consistent. The kind of thing that they should have been doing from pretty much when he started to go wrong, probably when, when Moyes left, they probably should have realised that they needed a structure in place. I'm going to be honest as well, when he started telling that nut story and said in 1983, I thought it was going to be a joke. And then I started to realise as we went through, <laughs> this was going to be some pun line. <laughs> this is a long joke. But then I realised that you were just, you knew a lot about Ralph Randall, which is very, very impressive. Martin, the obvious thing that people are going to talk about is the pressing. Yeah. Manchester United are not renowned for being a pressing side at all. I mean, everyone goes on about Ronaldo and pressing. Everyone, everyone's obsessed with it. The whole team doesn't press well. They don't press as a team. I guess that's one thing I've noticed with Villa. Now under Gerard, they press as a unit, they press as a team. Manchester United just haven't had that. If Ranit can get that going with the players they've got, there should be some relative success. I think the key is there. It does, if you're doing a sort of gig and press, and it does start with the forwards, that's the key, isn't it? And then everyone follows, and that's not what's been happening at United. Like Fernandez in particular has been leading a press not very well, running around a bit frantically, and nobody's going with him. So it's it's just not worked. Obviously, they're they're last for pressures. 
uh, last for tackles in the Premier League. Uh, and Sky had the graphic up on screen before the Chelsea game that Ranić's um, last side, his, his Leipzig side, were, were top of all those metrics. The one thing I would say is that, as much as I think it is a, is a good and a really interesting appointment, just seems like maybe two two weeks too late to to bring in a a coach who's going to try and change things so drastically at a time when the fixtures come thick and fast. How, how much time is he actually going to have on the training ground? Like True. you. You had a, a recent international break. They, they should have had a bit of foresight if they if they had highlighted him before then, because it it will take a lot of work to to change the philosophy entirely. Because that's what they have to do. They don't. I, I don't think they don't have the players to do it, but they haven't been schooled in doing it for way beyond Solskjaer's reign. And probably Solskjaer was the sort of worst culprit for organising that sort of a sort of a press. So there's a huge amount of work to do at a time when there's so, so many fixtures. So how much time he's got on the training ground? I know he's been getting training sessions filmed. He's been watching their training sessions. So he's clearly been keen in that respect. It was quite quite the coincidence that they moved to a 4-3-1-2 for the first time in, I think they've only done it once in the previous two seasons and they play two up front when obviously that's what he's tended to do, usually a 4-2-2-2 or a 4-3-1-2. And obviously that's what they did, dropped Ronaldo. So I know uh, Carrick was obviously questioned after the game as to whether Rania could add any say in that. And he said, no, it wasn't a particularly emphatic answer. Not sure Michael Carrick's done anything that emphatically, to be honest. But but yeah, I, it did seem like maybe there, there was a little bit of instruction there and the press was much, much better. The one thing I would say about, about Carrick, and it, it looks like he will be in the dugout against Arsenal because there seems to have been a bit of a delay on Ranić's uh, visa, is that I've liked his his chutzpah in dropping uh, Fernandez and Ronaldo in back-to-back games. And it would be interesting to see if he might have the, sort of the balls to drop Harry Maguire for this one because Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof did pretty well against Chelsea. Uh, on form, Harry Maguire shouldn't really be playing. If he comes back in for Bailly, obviously he came back in for Bailly when he wasn't even fit and Bailly had a bit of a... Well, deservedly so, was was, was not happy about that. So it'll be interesting to see if Maguire comes back into a two or they or that maybe they will stick. They may go to a three and not drop Bailly, who, who did play well. But you would expect them to to continue with that 4-3-1-2, I guess, this time out. I think Bailly actually suits playing against Arsenal with their pace. The players they've got, yeah. I think it would actually be an ideal game for Eric Bailly. Now, Jonathan's going to take a step, a step, a trip into Ralph Ranić's mind now, and he's going to tell us, or he's going to pick a Manchester United team based on what he thinks Ranić will do. That's a tough task. I tried to add a little go doing it in my head earlier. It's tough. Just leave a lot of players out. I'm, I'm not convinced about this two up front. I, I mean, I know they did. He, that was how he tended to play the final season at Leipzig. His previous season, 2015-16, it tended to be a 4-2-3-1. So I think, I mean, they have they do have the players to play two up front. But given how um, how important I think Fernandes is to that midfield, given that he is somebody who definitely has a willingness to press, uh, I, I I know his form hasn't been great recently. I, I still think you. You sort of have to have him there. And if he is there, that probably does mean it has to be a 43-1. In which case, and this isn't going to sound particularly revolutionary or different to, to what's been happening. Uh, De Gea, Wambasaka, Varane, Maguire, Shaw, McTominay, Fred, Sancho, Fernandez, Rashford and Cavani up front. And that obviously means no Ronaldo. Which is probably not going to happen, I wouldn't say. <laughs> Ronaldo's going to play, 
Obviously, there was a whole debate on Sky Sports about about Ronaldo between Roy Kent and Carragher. I mean, it depends who you're playing against as well. I mean, if you're you're playing a weaker side, yeah, play Ronaldo because he will score goals and um, you can probably work out ways of of accommodating his his lack of mobility. Uh, But if you're playing a good side, you can't can't let opponents build up from the back. You've got to get pressure on them early and that's what Ronaldo's not giving them. Ronaldo's also... I know it went wrong on Sunday that he came on and they conceded pretty much immediately. I mean, to blame him for that, I think, is oversimplistic. Um, but uh, the fact they played so well when he wasn't there, uh, you know, I think it does tell you that he, he causes structural problems for, the, for any team. So Arsenal a team then, you know, you're saying playing against a good team, you wouldn't play Ronaldo. Would you class Arsenal as that good team that you wouldn't play him against? Good enough, yeah. <laughs> good enough, OK. <laughs> Which team is more likely to get into the top four, Martin? I think Arsenal. Just, I, I think they've got a five-point gap, haven't they? We'll come yeah. on to our predictions in a bit. Obviously, that game, that gap could be cut this week. Um, personally, don't think it will. But yeah, a five-point gap, and they have a structure in place. They they know what they're doing. Obviously, they stuck to it against Liverpool, and they got found wanting against a better team. But there aren't. There's the top three, and then the rest. Really, there aren't that many better teams than Arsenal. Uh, they've got a solid back four now. They're keeping lots of clean sheets. They're not doing anything spectacular at all. But I think, it, like I said, I think it might just take time for Ranić to really uh, sort of have that impact on the philosophy with with such little time on the training field. Um, so I think that five-point gap that Arsenal have could be telling. I do think it will be very, very tight, but certainly if I was looking at it in terms of value, something to bet on, then I, I definitely wouldn't be going for United, personally. Martin, a signing that got a little bit of criticism on this show and certainly in a lot of other places was Aaron Ramsdale to Arsenal. I think it was just a signing that nobody really got, nobody really understood because there was didn't look like there was a definitive need for Arsenal to upgrade the goalkeeper position. But he's found himself top of the form rankings in terms of goalkeepers, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's now our, our top-rated goalkeeper. Well, he's actually joint top um, with Edouard Mendy, um, but slightly ahead, like very slightly ahead. Um, but joint in terms of our ratings. Uh, so, yeah, it's, like you say, unexpected. Um, that signing did get a lot of criticism. It was sort of a bit of a joking point, I guess, uh, ahead of the season. But, yeah, he's come in, got the shirt pretty quickly. Um, and I guess he's just making really, really good saves as well, not just a lot of saves. Some of the saves he's making are pretty sensational. I look back at the game against Leicester and that one stands out, doesn't it? But... No keeper's making more saves in the Premier League than Ramsdale per game. That's 3.5. He's second to Mondi in terms of save success, uh, 81.4%. He's fourth in Europe for that stat. Uh, his fewest games per clean sheet. It was his sixth clean sheet of the weekend in 10 starts for Arsenal. So, yeah, you wouldn't have expected it. But, yeah, he's he's top of our goalkeeper ratings ahead of Mondi. And Alisson is third. And then there's a little bit. Bit of a gap back, I believe, to Robert San- uh, Melier and Robert Sanchez, and then Emmy Martinez. But yeah, you wouldn't have expected Ramsdale to be at the top, but he's played a massive part in Arsenal's much improved defensive result. Okay, then let's have a quick look at the combined 11 then, because we are pushed for time. I'm going to predict a 6 5 to Arsenal in the 11. Jonathan, you take that? Uh, <laughs> what have I got? I've got 6 5, yeah. Mm. There we go. What is it, Martin, according to... Oh, no, I've got 7-4, sorry. Seven oh, OK. 7-2 to who, Arsenal? Yeah. 
Exciting. Who scored also have 7 4 to Arsenal? Let's see. Let's see. This is, this is Could the... this be the one? <laughs> it won't. Um, what formations have we got? This is always the telling factor. I did it as a 4 2 2 2 just because that's how the players fit in our, like in terms of our ratings. And that's how obviously Man United may look to play, may, may not. But uh, we did it as a 4 2 2 2 just because yeah, the players fit in that system, uh, the top rated players. So, yeah. so who scored a pitch system that neither team plays? Jonathan? Well, the Man United might play it, may well play it. And it were, it is a system. It's not like a pluck that no, out of the air. Oh, no. Jonathan? 4-2-3-1. 4-2-3-1. thought it might be. Darling, do the who scored team and we'll see how it matches up. Uh, so Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Uh, hopefully there's not too much debate. Based, this is based on this season, by the way. It's only in terms of who scored's team anyway. Based on this season's ratings. Ramsdale in goal. Tommy Yasu, White. Gabriel and Shaw is just Luke Shaw uh, ahead of Nuno Tavares actually who's also ahead of Kieran Tierney and Tavares is actually Kearney, Tierney's back fit and Tavares is keeping his place so Shaw's not been great he's a doubt uh, he's had a head injury hasn't he but he might come back in we've we've put him in um, the two sort of sitting midfielders we've got Thomas Partey and Scott McTominay and then the two behind the two are Fernandez and Smith Rowe and then the front two which is probably going to be a little bit controversial, is Mason Greenwood uh, keeps his spot just after a strong start to the season. And uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has an identical rating to uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, but has played more games, which uh, wins out in our in our system. It's worth saying only four of those players have a rating above a seven, uh, which isn't particularly good. <laughs> well, a seven's good, but only four players in the team have a rating above a seven. So, yeah, not the strongest combined 11. I completely missed the midfield because I was too busy thinking about that. I hadn't said anything about Billy Gilmore in this podcast. <laughs> I, don't know why. I, don't know why I didn't put him into my head. He wasn't in it. No, he wasn't that in popped into my head. But there we go. We've got Billy Gilmore in now. <laughs> so I didn't hear the midfield, but Jonathan, is yours similar? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ramsdale, Tommy Assi, White, Gabriel, Tavares. I mean, Tavares are sure. Or Tierney. I mean, either or. Party McTominay. Uh, then I had it's quite hard to pick the line of three because I wanted to fit Smith Rowe in, and in the end, I just couldn't. Um, so I end up with Saka, Fernandes, and Sancho. I mean, this is essentially based on Sancho over the last week. Um, <laughs> so it's it's sort of his entire career up until sort of May last year, and then the last week, I've sort of ignored yeah. the bit in between, and then Cavani up front because, as you know, I I, I, I'm a huge Cavani fan. You shock me that Cavani's come into into your team, Jonathan. Absolute shock. Yeah, nice, nice team. I like to combine Arsenal and Man yeah, You might have a title charge on your hands if you put the two of them together. We've got two tips for this game, Martin. We've got two tips that involve this game. Yeah. Uh, so the first one, the first one is around Ronaldo. Obviously, he'll be expected to come back in. Would be a surprise if he was uh, dropped for back-to-back games. Uh, so we've got Ronaldo to score. Uh, he is still the man that tends to score for Manchester United. He scored three of their last five goals. They don't haven't got a lot of a threat without him at present. So we've got Ronaldo to score and be carded uh, in the same game. He's actually now been booked in more league games this season than he scored for his work. He's been booked in four games uh, this season. So for Ronaldo to score and be carded, that's been boosted from 10 to 1 to 12 to 1. So that's one option. Uh, and then we do have a double for the first, it's Thursday, isn't it? Thursday games as well, which are based on who scored's predictions for what it's worth. And they're, it's a score draw double. So that's a score draw in 
Arsenal, United. Four of the last seven meetings between the teams at Old Trafford have ended in score drew, draws. Uh, the last uh, game at Old Trafford that was settled by more than one goal was actually the 8-2 uh, win a decade ago. So we think it'll be another tight game. And we've gone for Brentford, Tot- uh, Tottenham-Brentford to be a score draw as well. Brentford have only lost one of six away from home this season, drawing three. Spurs' six wins have all come by a single goal, so they're really struggling to sort of kill teams off or even dominate matches in, in any way. They've actually got the same goal difference as Watford and Burnley. Minus six goal difference for Tottenham. So we're going for a score draw in both of those games. And that's a really healthy price. 26 to one for both of those games to end in score draws. So that is another option for Thursday. I'm only interested in 50 to one shots now. 26 to one doesn't do anything for me after that 50 to one. Let's close off then with our predictions. Martin, who scored? Uh, Yeah, so as I alluded to there, we're going for a one-all draw. One-all. Jonathan? 2-1 2-1 United. I just think Arsenal in that run of um, was it, uh, one defeat in 12 now, they haven't actually played anybody any good apart from Liverpool who beat them. Are oh, United um, that good at the moment though? Well, they did draw against Chelsea. I mean, yeah, I will, I will clearly, clearly if Arsenal win this, I will continue to say they, they, hit, they got United at the right time, United were down on form. <laughs> As I said about yeah, Tottenham when, when they beat them. Um so, yeah, I, I, I remain to be fully convinced by Arsenal. I've gone for Manchester United to win 2-0 as well. I'm not sure what was running through my head when, about them keeping a clean sheet, but that is what I've gone for, so I will stick with it. That does us for this week's edition of Edge of the Box, a nice little bonus episode as we do have a lot of midweek fixtures. I believe we're back on Friday, Martin. Is that the case? Yeah, so we've obviously got to wait for the midweek ground to finish. So, yeah, we'll be recording Friday early doors. I think it was Josh back on oh, the beat. Josh, yeah. Josh is in looking out the window. Martin not bothering to turn up again. So, yeah, the only way you'll know when it's definitely coming out definitively is if you subscribe with your post notifications on. So make sure that you are doing that. Thanks to the guys for chatting to me and thanks to Bet Victor as well for continuing to sponsor the podcast. This has been Edge of the Box podcast. And as ever, make sure you stay safe. Mm-hmm.